Let's pray. Father, be with us now as we look into your word. Let your Holy Spirit open our ears and even more our hearts and minds to your truth. We need your truth today more than ever. And Lord, I just pray that you would guide us and lead us through your spirit. Help us to follow the words of divine scripture that reach into our souls, that change the lives of sinners into saints. Help us to understand so that we may live for you day by day. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Our scripture reading today is from Proverbs, the book of Proverbs chapter 30. Verse 24, Proverbs 30, verse 24. Four things on earth are small, yet they are extremely wise. Ants are creatures of little strength, yet they store up their food in the summer. Conies are creatures of little power, yet they make their home in the crags. Locusts have no king, yet they advance together in ranks. A lizard can be caught with a hand, yet it is found in king's palaces. And so end the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. Every year, every year there's something a lot of people do. You go out and buy a calendar, right? How many people have ever bought a calendar? But not just any calendar. They have specialty calendars. There's uh, calendars like uh, thought for the day, word of the day, right? Some, some word you may not know, but maybe it'll help you. It'll make you smarter if you use it. Um, Bible verse of the day, this day in history, right? Something that happened in, in world history or American history. How many ever bought a specialty calendar, right? Okay, okay. Good stuff, good stuff. Well, I'm always on the lookout for good advice, And so one year I bought a calendar that explained what to do in case of an emergency. 365 days of what to do, but but different emergencies, right? They come up in our lives all the time. I figured maybe it'll come in handy. So I wanted to show you some of those examples. How to treat a broken nose. That was for the weekend, right? That's kind of... Straightforward, right? It happens. It happens. How to survive a race car spin out. Huh? (laughs) Sometimes you're going down the interstate. It feels like you're in a race just trying to keep up with the speed limit the way some other people drive. How to escape from a charging rhino. (laughs) Yeah. You know, we... My son and I just went hiking the Porcupine Mountains. And they they have brown bears up there. There's a difference, we didn't see a bear, but there's a difference between how you react to a brown bear and a grizzly bear, right? Okay, so not only a charging rhino, but how to survive an elephant stampede. You lay down. I'm serious. They don't want to step on you. Who knew? How to stop unwanted public displays of affection. How to stop a wedding. (laughs) Okay, 
So some of the ideas are, like, pull the fire alarm or pretend to have a stroke. It's pretty extreme, pretty extreme. Now, I'm, I'm hoping I don't need a lot of that advice, right? We hope we don't need advice for an emergency, but we're always on the lookout for good advice, aren't we? And for my message this morning, I'm, I read from the book of Proverbs, and Proverbs is full of good advice. So I'm looking at another source, and I'm borrowing the wisdom of another man. And he was the name, chapter 30, a man by the name of Agur. Agur. And there's no time limit on good advice. He lived about 3,000 years ago. And what was good advice back then is also good advice for today. Wise guys come easy. But wise women and wise men are really hard to find. And Agur was so wise, he was so inspired by the Spirit of God that he wrote an entire chapter here in Proverbs that's, that's here in Holy Scripture. These are just a few sentences, and they can help us live with wisdom and skill, not only, not only back then, but also today. And we just read, we just read these verses. Because usually when we look to advice, we, we look to geniuses or people who, who made something of themselves, right? Like uh, Bill Gates, who founded Microsoft, or the, the trader, the investor, Warren Buffett, people like that. Some people look to celebrities, what do they know, or politicians, or even sports stars. But we're, we're in church, right? So who are we going to look at? We're going to look at people from the pages of Holy Scripture. And we think of individuals like a Moses and Esther or the Apostle Paul. And Agur says, don't, don't look up at these people. He says, you need to look down at these four small creatures. They're small, and they're not very appealing. And not very many people have pet ants. How many have taken a coney out for a walk on a leash? If you find a locust or a grasshopper or a lizard in your house, you might try and stomp it, or at least get the broom and, and get it out. But Agur chooses these four small creatures, and he wants us to consider them and give us advice, wisdom for the living of our days. First, he says, Ants are creatures of little strength, yet they store up their food in the summer. Do you see the wisdom there? It's kind of, kind of obvious. I'm glad you start with easy things. The ant works today for tomorrow. He works today for tomorrow. Putting it another way, he knows what time it is in life. What time it is in life. Because there's, there's a lot of one-dimensional people in the world. There are some people who live in the past. Now, our past has made us who we are today, the good and the bad, right? That shaped us and molded us. But these people are, are so fixated on the past, and they're focused on the bad things that happened to them. And they live in the past, so they can't live for today, and they certainly can't live for tomorrow. And then there are some folks who live in the present. They live for today as, as if there's no tomorrow, and there's no thought for tomorrow. Whatever fad comes our way, Whatever new hairstyle or piercing or tattoo or clothing style comes our way, whatever new technology comes our way, they jump into it, no matter how short-lived or short-sighted it is. And then there's others who live in the future. Their theme song is borrowed from Annie, 
tomorrow, tomorrow, I love you tomorrow. It's just going to be tomorrow. It's another day. And, but for them, it's always, well, after I get out of school, or after I get married, or after I retire, or after I get this degree, then I'll take care of things. Then I'll be satisfied. Then I'll be happy, and things will be better. But you know what? Tomorrow never comes for them. It's always the next day. But the ant knows what time it is. He has an instinct to prepare himself. And so he works in the summer to prepare for the winter that lies ahead. The entire, the entire book of Proverbs, all 31 chapters, are about wisdom. And they're, they're lessons that we need to learn in order to function as God's people. So I want to jump back to the first chapter and, and read. That's, that's the setting, right? Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young, let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. That's good stuff. That's really good stuff. Maybe, uh, let's see. How many chapters in Proverbs? 31. So this, this month has 30 days. If you read a chapter a day, just read another chapter and you'll get caught up, right? Read a chapter a day. Throughout the book of Proverbs, wise teachers are speaking to us, and they're urging us to have wisdom. But true wisdom comes from knowing God himself. We're to do this because wisdom will guide us, and it will guard us in the days to come. Because like the ant, we have to take advantage of the summer because winter's coming. Sorry to to tell you that now (laughs) for Sunday in November. Winter's on its way. And for a lot of us, winter can be very personal. I can't imagine what it might be for you. Perhaps there's a a disease or an illness, right, that's now become a part of your life or the life of someone very close to you, and it affects you. Perhaps it's a relationship that turns sour. Your dreams are dashed. Perhaps you brought children into the world and you've had so much love and expectations, but, but you've watched as their lives haven't turned out as you had hoped. Maybe economic pressures are squeezing you tighter than others know. And, and one thing's for certain, winter's going to come. We, we can't keep it away. And in addition, we're living in a culture where winter has already set in. Men and women today are living in our country and our world in the winter of their discontent. There's cold winds. There's cold winds blowing across our culture. Many today scoff at the idea of saying that Jesus is Lord. Religion, is, religion isn't gaining ground. Many people are enslaved to sin. We live in a barren land where there's, there's broken hopes and broken dreams and broken homes and broken lives. C.S. Lewis wrote, wrote a book, The Chronicles of Narnia, right? It's a series, and in the first book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It was made into a movie. The the four children, Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy, they're taken to the land of Narnia, a magical land. 
But the white witch has turned it into an everlasting winter. Now, it's, it's beautiful, right? Winter's beautiful, but who wants to live in winter year-round? <laughs> and later on in the story, they're told, it's always winter, but never Christmas. That's a profound statement. Always winter, but never Christmas. And like the land of Narnia, the culture, the society we live in is the same. Without God's direction in life, without his wisdom, without his son, it will always be winter, and you'll never have the blessings that come from Christmas. And I, I don't mean the presence, I mean Jesus Christ. And we live in a world where it's always going to be winter, cold and bleak and destructive, if we live apart from God. And when winter comes, what you bring with you is all that you have. But if you've got the wisdom of the ant, you'll take advantage of the time now. The ant has such little strength, but it uses that strength to prepare for the future. You know that ants love to attend picnics? Oh, they love picnics. And while you're drinking that, that cold iced tea, they're carrying off the little grains of sugar, aren't they? And then you're munching on a hamburger, they're going to come back and pick up whatever crumbs they can find. They're always at it, working, straining, carrying the load. Instinctively, they know they have to prepare for the winter that's lying ahead. True wisdom, it, it, it comes from knowing God. It comes from knowing God. It's not just head knowledge. But it's not always easy because we have to work at it. It's a relationship, and all relationships take time. In, in some ways, I know this isn't a perfect example, knowing God, it's kind of like taking vitamins, right? Yeah, I, I take a few. Um, you don't take vitamins and then you feel all this energy, right? <laughs> you don't feel any different. But if you take them over time, over time, then it helps your body in some way. And it can even help you with diseases. And cultivating our relationship with God demands everything we have in the summer of life because winter's coming. If we're not ready, if we're not prepared, winter is bleak and cold and spiritually dangerous. And if you got, if you got the brains of an ant, you'll get ready now. Our, our next piece of advice is this. Conies are creatures of little power, yet they make their home in the crags. The coney is a, like a rock badger, right? Just think of it as a big chipmunk. Can you see the lesson Ager wants us to learn when he says this? Conies are, are brown and gray. They're, they're the colors of the rocks. And as long as that coney, that rock badger, is on the rock, maybe he's just sunning himself, He's almost impossible to see. And when a predator comes to attack, what's Sakoni going to do? He's going to scamper down into his hole. If a vulture or an eagle or, or a coyote or whatever wants to get that coney, it has to knock down the mountain to get to it. So one thing about conies, they know where their security lies. If a coney decides to go off on the prairie, you know, take a, take a little trip, Venture away from the rock, it's going to be in trouble. Doesn't matter how courageous he is. Doesn't matter if he's been going to the gym and he's the strongest coney on the mountain. Because the most courageous coney falls victim to the smallest wolf or lion or bird of prey. When it wanders away from the rock, 
He's dead meat. The biblical writers would take this, and you know as well as I, they would apply it to God. They would say, if you have the brains of a coney, then you will know where your source of security lies. And the security you must have is the security of God himself. Now, we have to realize that knowledge about God is not the same as knowing God, having a relationship with him. Knowing God is, is not the same thing as having a mathematical formula. I, um, I actually have an engineering degree. I went to school to get a chemical engineering degree, worked at a paper mill, then felt God's call into ministry. Yeah. So I know, I know a few formulas, and I've worked with them over the years. And to know God, though, is to have a relationship with a person, and so we often confuse that. Many think that if, if they go to church or they, they know some things about the Bible, right, then, then they're okay, but it's not true. You know, on my, my, little, my little phone right here, I, I remember as a kid, we were like eight or nine, my parents got us a set of Encyclopedia Britannicas. Yeah, how many know what encyclopedias are? They don't make them anymore, do they? Because on my phone, I have access to more knowledge, almost the knowledge of the world, right? But that's knowledge. It's not wisdom. Wisdom is the application of knowledge to our lives. And true wisdom, there we go, is knowing God. So two things we learned from the Coney. He's got sense enough to know his weaknesses and sense enough to know his strengths. And you got to have both. There are people who know God, but they don't know their weaknesses. They're like philosophers or theologians who, who can be vulnerable because they think they know God. And in their weakness, they are careless and arrogant. They, they know a lot about God, but they just know facts. They have knowledge. But the living God, the, the reality is they don't know the living God. They don't have that relationship. And we've been created by him for a relationship. And then there are others who know their weaknesses, but they don't know God. They spend their time trying to find security or meaning in life apart from him. And it will constantly elude them. So they throw themselves into things. They may even be very successful at what they do. They, they may have wealth or power or prestige or fame or, or academic degrees. And whatever fad comes along, it grabs hold of them because they're constantly searching for meaning in life. And because they don't have true security, they end up at rock bottom. If you have the wisdom of a coney, you'll know where your security lies. It's a relationship with the living God. And without that... You're like the coney uh, away from the mountain. You're not safe. There's no security at all. We have to learn something from the ant. The ant knows what time it is in life, and he's preparing for the winter. The coney, we have to learn from him. The rock badger knows where to find his security. Then Agur says, The locusts have no king, yet they advance together in ranks. This, this one's a little bit easier, Right? A locust or a grasshopper by itself isn't, isn't very scary. If we find one in the yard or the kitchen, they jump. We're startled. But, you know, one by itself isn't much of a threat. Yet if that grasshopper joins a league of grasshoppers, 
It could do all kinds of damage. When we think of locusts, probably the first thing that pops into our minds is the phrase plague of locusts. And what the locust and grasshopper cannot do alone, it can do in community with others. In the same way, a, a single snowflake doesn't bother me at all. But when that snowflake gets together with all their other friends, <laughs> shuts everything down. Back at the turn of the century, 1900, there was a, a plague of locusts in the plains of the United States. In a matter of a few days, this swarm swept over the states of Nebraska, Iowa, and Kansas. And they stripped the fields bare. In less than a week, they did over $500 million worth of damage, and that was the currency of that time. They, they don't have a king to get them organized, do they? They don't have a, a draft board or drill sergeants to get them in order or ranks. By instinct, the locust knows it has to be in community with others. And when that occurs, they can topple kingdoms. And the wisdom of the locust is the wisdom that tells us we must have community. This is a theme throughout the Bible. The Old Testament speaks of the covenant people of God, God's people. The New Testament talks about the church. And while it tells us that you have to have a personal faith, no one has an individual faith. You cannot be a Christian alone. You need others and need to be with them. A man went to an asylum for the criminally insane. And as the guard was showing him around, he was talking about how everything worked. He said, there's three guards for 100 inmates. And so the guard was asked, well, aren't you worried? They'll, they'll get together and gang up on you and take over and escape. And the guard smiled and said, lunatics never unite. <laughs> lunatics never unite. Locusts do. Christians should. If we don't, we don't know where our power is. When Jesus sent out the disciples, he, he sent them out two by two. If we live life by ourselves, we will fall into perils, we'll fall into hazards that can be prevented if we surround ourselves with other people who have a common commitment and a common cause and common sense. Think of the Apostle Paul. Right? He, he made an incredible mark on history, but he didn't do it alone. If you read the book of Acts, he was always traveling with others. He always had a group around him. He had those splendid women and men he lists in Romans 16. And in the first 23 verses of Romans 16, he mentions 35 people by name. And if we flip through the pages of the New Testament, his writings, we'll see his comrades in arms. Epaphroditus, Onesimus, Silas, Barnabas, Titus, Timothy, Priscilla, and Aquila. And when you come to the end of his life, 2 Timothy, he's writing from a Roman dungeon. He's facing execution, and it's going to happen. And so in his final letter to Timothy, he says, Do your best, Timothy, to come to me quickly, for Demas has left me and Crescens is gone. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. Because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Paul only had Luke with him, the good doctor. He was glad for his companionship, but he still felt alone. He was used to having a, a band of brothers, a band of buddies around him, people with whom he shared a, a life and a faith. 
The New Testament, the Bible, it's, it's filled with community. If you don't know where your power is, if you don't understand that, that you need other Christians and they need you, we're not going to make it. It's hard to make an impact for God alone. Our lives are busy enough, but we need to make time for being around our church family. Doesn't mean you need to be best buddies with everyone in the church, but we need a group. Maybe it's a small group of some kind. It could be a Bible study. It could be a, a, a ministry group you're involved with. It could be meeting for, for breakfast or lunch with some of the others once in a while. You know, you... It's hard to see, but that's, that's a Lego, right? And what are Legos made to do? They're made to connect. They're made to connect with one another. And again, one, one Lego by itself isn't too amazing, but you know, you can put them together and people have built some pretty amazing things with a whole bunch of Legos. And we're like Legos. We're made to connect. We need other Christians. They need us. And without community, we're not going to make an impression on this world. And that's what the scriptures say when it says we're a body. We're a community. We can't go it alone. If we don't understand that, then we don't have the good sense of a locust. Our last, last example is probably the hardest one of all. A lizard can be caught with the hand... Yet it is found in king's palaces. Of these, of these four little creatures that Agur mentions, I, I find this one the most difficult. What I do know is that when you say a locust can be caught with the hand, and yet it's in the king's palace, that's, that's something that doesn't add up. You can, you can hold it in your hand. You probably wouldn't want to. I have a daughter that wants to. It's small, it's ugly. But there it is in the presence of the king. And if you think about it, you might recognize that embedded in this idea is the concept of grace. And grace, grace doesn't add up either. Years ago, I was with my father-in-law. He was an engineer for Chrysler. We were working on a car, one of our cars. It's great having a father-in-law like that. And we were having a hard time. And I was the one underneath doing all the, the grunt work. And I was trying to get a screw loose. And I was pushing and turning and doing everything I could in my young man's strength. And it, I couldn't get it to go. It just seemed to be getting tighter and tighter. It, it was just, I, I couldn't figure it out. And I kept saying to myself, righty, tidy, lefty, loosey. Righty, tidy, right, to, to make sure am I, I'm going, going the right way, right, am I, am I, or am I doing this backwards? So finally I gave up, got my father-in-law, he went under the car, he came out, he didn't get it out, he left it for me, but he said, this is a left-handed screw. I said, what's that? <laughs> he says, it goes the other way. Yeah, they actually do such a thing. Don't ask me why. But it works the opposite way. Righty loosey, lefty tidy. There, I think I got that right. It took me 30 years to find out how screws work, and then they go and change the rules on me. Can you imagine that? There's a sense in which the entire Bible is a reverse screw. 
everything in our culture that seems right, in the Bible it comes out wrong. The way up, the way to God, is actually to go down, to humble yourself. The way to spiritual wealth is to acknowledge your spiritual poverty. The way we need to live is to die to ourselves. And the way to greatness, in a heavenly sense, is we need to serve others. I mean, that screw was not working for me. (laughs) I was never going to get it going the way I thought it should. And it's like the lizard in the king's palace doesn't add up. So unless you understand the reverse nature of the screw, you'll never do anything. The more you try to work it, you're not going to accomplish anything. All the muscle or best tools in the world aren't going to help you. Because it'll only get tighter and you won't accomplish. And the Bible's that way. The Bible's that way. Everything is upside down. When you come with the values of the world and you read the Bible, then it seems crazy. And I, you know, you can spend all your years trying to figure out how life works, how things work, and then they change the rules. And that's what God does. Jesus put it this way, the last will be first, and the first will be last. Yeah. You know, how many have grown up in the church? I I grew up in the church, right? I grew up Catholic. Um, We get used to hearing this stuff, and we think, big deal. This was radical. This was radical in Jesus' day. Paul the Apostle says, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. Not many geniuses. Not many stars or big shots or who have you. In a sense, God calls the nobodies and the nothings. And we better mark that. Those are the people he chooses. Those are the people he elects. It's no big deal that the ordinary and the outcast choose him. Big deal. He chooses them. And it's by his grace we will be in the palace of the king and in fellowship with the king. So do you know what this means? It means everyone here... All of God's people bear the weight of glory. Think the most average person in the church. Maybe some of you don't know very well. Maybe they don't dress like you. Doesn't matter if you don't talk to them on a Sunday or whenever you see them, right? But if that person, person that we don't think much of, if that person who knows God were to come back one day bearing the weight of glory, the image of Jesus Christ, and walk in here, we would think they were an angel. So when we live in people and community, we better not despise anyone. Because when God is through with us, we will be made like Jesus Christ. We will be his daughters and sons. And so it doesn't add up. But the person sitting next to you, in front of you, behind you, we're going to be in the presence of God, enjoying fellowship with him, the king. It's, it's incompatible. Thinking, it's almost like thinking that a, a lizard could talk with Albert Einstein about quantum mechanics. Uh, no, it's more. It's the people like us who are frail, who have all of our weaknesses and our, our blots and blemishes, 
not even attractive, will one day be in the presence of the king himself for eternity. Well, four things on earth are small, but if we look down at them instead of up, if we could sit at their feet, if we could find their feet, then there's some things we can learn. From the ant, we learn the value of knowing the times. It's summer, today's summer, but winter's going to come, so we better get ready. From the coney, we understand we have to know the source of our security. It's, it's not in me, but it's in the rock. I need to trust the rock. From the locust, we discover the power of community. I, I can't go it alone. I, I think I can, but it's going to crash. I need others. In the perspective of a lizard, we see God's grace. We realize that these men and women with whom we share life are destined to live in the presence of the King of Heaven. These four ideas are Agur's advice to us. He has some other things to say in the chapter. We, we don't have time for them. Encourage you to read it today on your own, the chapter. Read a chapter a day through Proverbs this month or Christmas in December. Wrestle with them on your own. You know, it, it's not very exciting, is it? I'd rather know how to deal with a charging elephant or rhino. Just lay down, I guess. But you know, it, it will serve us better as we live our lives here on earth. Oh, I have one last piece of advice. You know, soon they're going to start selling calendars for 2023. If you wait a while, they'll be half price. That's good advice. And in closing, I'm going to borrow a story that you've probably heard and use two of our characters from our story. Many of you know the story of the ant and the grasshopper, one of Aesop's fables. The mother of a nine-year-old boy named Mark received a call in the middle of the day from, from her son's teacher. And she said, Mrs. Smith, something happened today in your son's third grade class, and your son did something so unusual that I thought I should call you and tell you about it. And of course, the mother got very worried. And the teacher continued, Nothing like this has ever happened before in all my years of teaching. This morning, I was teaching a, a section on creative writing, and I told the story of the ant and the grasshopper. The ant works hard all summer, and, and the grasshopper plays. Does, doesn't do anything. The ant works hard all summer. And then winter comes, and the ant has food, but the grasshopper doesn't have anything. And then I tell the kids, write an ending to the story. What do you think happened? And immediately your, your son raised his hand and said, Teacher, may I draw a picture? And I said, Well, yes, but first you have, first you have to write the ending. And Mrs. Smith, as in all the years past, most of the students said the ant shared his food with the grasshopper and they made it through the winter. A few students always write, No, Mr. Grasshopper, I only have enough food for myself. So the grasshopper died. But your son wrote, Here, Mr. Grasshopper, you take all my food. The grasshopper lived, and the ant died. At the bottom of the page, he had drawn three crosses. That is true wisdom. Let me pray.
Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Touch our hearts. Touch our minds. Touch our souls. Help us to live for you with your wisdom. A wisdom that's as true today as true tomorrow as it was 3,000 years ago. Help it to make an eternal difference. Again, as we seek to live for you in a hurting world.